0: Hello and welcome back to our regular listeners and hello to all our new people who have stumbled across this by complete accident. This is the third episode of Conversations With and today on the show we have an old friend and colleague of mine that will go back many years in various guises. Easy on the old. Easy on the old, (laughs) Alistair Thompson, the Director of Asset Management here at Capriand. Um, and uh, I'm going to obviously okay. let him introduce himself. But uh, really, the key thing we're celebrating today is the uh, the launch of Capri and Asset Management. So that's what brings that's what brings Alistair on the show. He's obviously doing the rounds Radio One. <laughs> Thought of the day U- UK Gold UK Gold <laughs> yeah, um, and has graced us with his presence. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Alistair to maybe just give a brief. Synopsis of his uh, background.
1: David, may I say, but that was an absolutely fantastic introduction. Yeah, just a bit of background. I have been with uh, working with the NoE group for a very considerable number of years now. so um, uh, and, and dare I say it that, that goes back as far as 1995, which most people can't remember. With the NoE group uh, through many guises over the years. Um, and many iterations, most latterly being the formation of uh, Caprian, uh, which uh, kicked off in 2017, I believe. Extraordinary that we find ourselves now already six years in. I
0: know, time flies, eh?
1: And then more recently, the formation of Caprian Asset Management. Caprian Asset Management is effectively something that we've now put a name to. Uh, It's a service that we've always provided our clients for years and years but much like that much loved TV series of the 80s it was always a question of not knowing who we were and nor could you find us Uh, because we were the A team we remain the A team and um, we have formed Capri Asset Management as an entity by which to go to the world, uh, go to the country and tell us and sell our services for what we do, which we believe we do very well. Capri and Asset Management is a team of professionals here. We've worked together over many years and uh, operate across the UK and, and Europe. We pride ourselves on really our individuality in terms of uh, uh, effectively the services we provide our clients. We don't sort of take something out of a book um, and say that's what we need to do. Standard asset management, we bespoke everything to what our clients require. And what we also pride ourselves with is the longevity of the relationships that we form with our clients and being possibly one of the, if not the, longest standing Employees within the, the NOE group here, some of our clients go back very, very many years, and um, I, I take great pride and I think we take great
0: pride in the fact that they uh, continue their journey with us. Thank you, Alistair. And uh, for the benefit of the listeners at home, Alistair's leafing through a very glossy and shiny little takeaway on Capri and Asset Management, which I'm hoping is part of the goodie bag that he's brought me. Um, and uh to celebrate oh, yes. the occasion um but for my own education let's maybe start at the basics what what is the value add of asset management to, to pose a to pose a really noddy question is that in real estate uh, i buy a piece of real estate i sell a piece of real estate what what meaningfully ha- meaningfully happens in the middle that is is the real special source
1: it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question actually and one which um, over the years I've spoken to many other asset managers and when, uh, one of my favourite questions certainly when one's interviewing someone is to ask them what is asset management because generally speaking you get different answers every time. I prefer the very simple explanation of asset management and, and that is the, the process, and it sounds very corny, uh, but the process of making money. It's a question of taking an asset that's worth a pound um, and applying various techniques, various skills, various experiences to make that piece of real estate now worth one pound ten pence or one pound twenty pence or as much as you possibly can. But where the, we offer the difference, it's all very well being presented with some luck. But it's much more difficult or have the skill to identify that as being luck. And then the second stage being that, to actually turn that luck into a result. Because, um, you know, if you, have a, if, if you have a big vacant unit, say, and then you have a tenant comes in and says, great, um, I, the agent comes to you and says, I want to let that. Well, there's the bit of luck because you've got a tenant there that's actually looking at your building and wants to take it on a lease. Where the skill comes into that is delivering that transaction through to completion. And that isn't necessarily as easy as it sometimes uh, sounds. Uh, More so, you know, these days it gets progressively more difficult, but it's a question of communication, it's a question of commerciality, it's a question of driving the lawyers, it's a question of being able to... Uh, to understand what is important, what is what the client needs to achieve. What is important for the client? What is not important for the client? What is it that the tenant needs to feel comfortable, you know, comfortable with in order to deliver that or a sale or whatever? So, a lot of this is is really about communication um, skills in terms of being able to deliver the product, and I think. That I think is ultimately the key key to asset management is delivery of the transaction.
0: Maybe focusing back in on it, so, so I think I understand a bit better um, what happens between sort of the purchase and the sale in terms of the the value add. Now, obviously, in a in quite a long spanning career, um, have you seen the skills or the or the or, or the things required? to do that have they changed um or in reality i mean obviously for example we're seeing a lot more of repositioning and maybe in the past five to ten years than we weren't seeing before Um, but or at its core is it really always that that purely it's a customer focused business the client wants to get from a to b and really the asset manager's job is to facilitate that
1: Correct, all of the above.
0: All of the above. <laughs> Double points um, for me. Yes,
1: exactly. No, it's it's changed massively. I think the objective and what you are trying to achieve hasn't changed. I think a lot of the the skills behind that I don't think have have changed materially over the years. I think what has changed massively is the attitude on trying to actually transact nowadays. There was the easiest way I can I can explain that is that years ago there was a concept known as taking a view so you, you you'd be trying to do whatever transaction it was in an asset management you'll get to a stage where you couldn't get an answer for something or you were trying to get an answer or you were asking a question and it, you know, it wasn't quite what you wanted and you then come to a stage well let me take a view blow it, let's just do the deal sorry do the transaction and carry on um, nowadays the concept of taking a view is, is few and far between everybody has to have an exact answer for everything and I, I, and, and I genuinely fear because I think a lot of the character of and the s- spontaneity for want of another word of, 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 of transacting nowadays is really regimented now and um, that sort of degree of flexibility for all sorts of reasons there's insurance, people staring at their PI policies And I think that that people tend to be more reluctant these days to voice their genuine opinion.
0: Because ultimately the biggest value add in the world is the person that's willing to take the responsibility of the decision um, in a lot of cases. Um, And that sometimes goes back to the core of what management is about. Obviously you're recommending to the client, but that recommendation has to come with a weight of, of of knowledge. It's not it's not it's not good enough to lay out four options and say you pick, um, because that's not a that's not a service that people are really looking for. It's it's more focused than that. And I think that, that that's probably the golden thread that runs through it all is if I'm asking you to manage something, the value that you add is that knowledge of which of those four options is the right one to pick.
1: Yeah, correct. I mean, that's and um, but that's what we pride ourselves that how we operate here is that we have never ever done that. This isn't something that was new to Capri and asset management, this was an ethos. Um, that existed, that has existed over years, and I could not do a podcast without mentioning my eighty twenty rule, which of every... not. <laughs> I had to do it, uh, which everybody gets bored with me saying all the time. But it can be applied to so many things. In terms Only twenty percent of, of... of the time yeah, do I exactly. get do I get bored with it.
0: <laughs> just just to be clear.
1: Just to be clear, oh, you have heard me mention it then. at As once a... or twice. Alex, well, I it? can't believe, but yeah, I mean, you can cure. Um, 80% of, of your problems uh, can be cured in 20% of the time.
0: Again, an area. I mean, obviously, Campion um, AM covers a wide range of different um, different sectors. Um, but you know, one in particular where there's a long-standing knowledge is definitely the retail sector. Now, if for all those listeners out there, I'm um, um, sitting on maybe some assets which they're not quite sure. Um, what to do within the retail sector. How, is there any advice that you, you'd be willing to give out for free? Um, to talk, or, uh, talk to us. Talk, talk <laughs> to you. Um, no, but you know, how should people be viewing retail in, in this current environment, in this current context? Um, is it is it something which is you know, destined for the annuals of history, you know, like the horse and cart? Or is it really something that you've always seen really evolve and this is just another evolution?
1: Gosh, that's a, that's a good question, it's going to be... I'll try and answer that as, as, as simply as I can. Yeah, retailers have, uh, and shopping centres generally have evolved massively over time, but we are in challenging times, no, no doubt. Um, but that is, like everything, uh, when a market is, is, is basically goes from one extreme to the other. And, and when times were good with retailers, they were taking stores everywhere... Rent wasn't a faint... I mean, often the the greedy landlord gets accused of, of, um, you know, demanding more rent. Um, You know, there's two sides. The contract is signed on both sides. That that argument doesn't hold. Um, But then you basically have uh, recessions come along. Um, I've been long enough in the business where I've been through a few recessions and we've come out the other side. But I think that the whole COVID... um, can be a podcast without mentioning COVID. Um, it's the whole COVID scenario was a massive game changer, I think, because it basically stopped town centres and, and shopping centres overnight. And I think that they were already in a state of, of, of decline in terms of um, in terms of how retailers conduct their business and and that was going back to your technology if that's the internet Um, one of the things that retailers were effectively rolling out prior to covid was they were really focused on profitability of stores you would always have the conversation with the retailer saying it's the profitability of the store you know it doesn't make enough money therefore and a lot of this now years ago you had High streets with the same retailers, uh, you know, that you saw everywhere. And retailers in those days were almost quite happy to have uh, a shop front, uh, sorry, uh, uh, an outlet in a town that didn't make a fat lot of money as long as it didn't make a loss and it was at best cost even. They were quite happy to keep that UD trading because it was a form of marketing. And ultimately, it was, a, it was a brand awareness that people walked down, and they saw the brand, and they thought, oh, yeah, there we go, there's, there's Woolworths, what a marvellous brand, or whatever. You know. And so that was part of their marketing strategy. You then had the internet came along, and suddenly that form of marketing basically took off to a completely different level and then was suddenly, I didn't have to rely on someone walking down a road. What I'm trying to do now is to get someone to see my advert on the internet, be it by whatever method necessary. So suddenly these you ended up with these retail units that were sitting there that the retailer was thinking, well, it's, it, it's a cost even. It's not really a branding issue anymore. So if it wasn't making them any money, they'll close it. Because there's no need for me to open it, so I think that side of it was starting to come in before. Was certainly starting coming in before COVID. COVID then hit, and obviously everything sort of stopped dead, and that just accelerated the sort of the the availability, the easeability. A word, I'm not sure. Um, it is now. It is certainly now. Yeah, it it, it it improved that for people to 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 have things online and get used to that. I think that retailers themselves, um, not only the companies are thinking to themselves, that they don't need all these units um, available uh, or trading is, is is one thing. I think the retail experience when you go into a shop these days has, has changed dramatically. I think stock levels, um, I think when you go into a shop now, the chances are I want to buy something, they don't have it. Sometimes the staff themselves are sort of less than sort of trying to sort of understand the concept of selling, making you the, the welcoming the visitor experience, I, I think is challenging. And then, if only at other times you can go into a, um, you can go into a shop and they say, "Well, we don't have it, but let me order it for you online." And they almost, which I, and they'll take you to a to to a computer in the store and then proceed to say, "What's your name? And, What's your thing?" Like this. And,
0: well, I, I think you probably had a, a, a joined up experience because as now we go completely off piece. I was in a, I was in a shop the other day. Um, and I was buying something, as one does in a shop. Um, and the funny thing was, is I mean, it d- but it does separate the the haves and the have nots in the retailer space. I mean, for me anyway, as as as, as a, a self confessed um, technologist, but you know, a lover of space, a weird thing to be, but nonetheless, that you know, in that shop was probably a really good example of those retailers who aren't surviving, which was. That, yes, it was available online, but the two systems weren't joined up, so I could find it on my phone standing there in front of him, but he couldn't exact that transaction. I had to do it online, yeah, and so that poor sales guy didn't get any credit for what happened, even though it physically happened in the store, and he helped me to to do it, yeah, because there was no connection between the 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 stock um system for the shops and the online offering now you know again it seems very basic but i I, i'm sure people will be surprised at home and think no that's not possible there are plenty of retail environments where they have still not joined up the two dots of those things um and actually quick plug i mean we we're working we have an investment in the business called drop it which is looking at the logistics of of how you do tie that up because you know back to to alistair's point around covid is that COVID taught us a a lot. I think it taught us a lot about the human experience. Um, In other words, yes, it, it accelerated online and we all worked at home and ate at home and, you know, did everything at home. And it's all coming back to me now. But actually, I think, again, going to an extreme like that told us that we didn't want that extreme either. Um, so I think it's about you know the businesses and the environment and the spaces that will survive and thrive are undoubtedly going to be, in my view, the ones that embrace the concept of multi-platform, of hybrid, of physical and digital, of putting these two things together in the best and most meaningful ways. And if you can do that, you'll succeed. And if you can't do that, then you'll fail and it's not a new failure is not a new thing i mean we also nowadays like to talk about failure as if it's something structural or uh, oh it all failed because of structural change um i'm sure in your experience alistair there's been numbers of businesses that have failed over the years in recessions and in other downturns and just pure bad management it could be a good scheme and there'll still be people that go bust in it
1: absolutely and i think you know the other thing and i i don't want to sort of You know, to to, to sort of talk down the retail, because actually I think that the the fundamental future for the high street will be, will remain, Um, and I think their importance, I think the the focus will change. But it's a bit like pubs. You know, you you hear of pubs closing down locally and you go around saying, oh, isn't that a shame? It was a lovely-looking pub, isn't it awful like that? And then someone said, when was the last time you went there? and you went, oh, crikey, I haven't been there for five years. And you can actually then...
0: It could be a contributing factor, It you could
1: be a contributing factor. And my the analogy for that is you look at the high streets and people say, gosh, you know, I remember the days, it was a really nice high street. And um, so the danger of sort of retiring or, or, or retiring into a completely um, web-based world is that... And I don't think we'll get there. I, I don't think it will happen. I think that... We've probably overreacted at the moment. I think the futures of um, you know retailing is going to be shift, obviously, the way it is at the moment, towards leisure, to social, to food and drink. Um, but there are some challenges to get to that, um, and this is the biggest issue here. It's very easy to talk to an asset manager, Catherine Asset Management. Um, you know, okay, you're so clever, go and get on with it. Um, and it sounds marvellous like that, but the land owner or the asset manager can't do this alone. You know, and it's it's this is this whole point that there are so many other stakeholders that are that are and processes that are involved in effectively rejuvenating that high street. And there are a number of different challenges that are, that, that are around that. One of the biggest ones is multi-ownership. Now, shopping centres are one thing because they tend to be owned by one person. So, if you have a shopping centre that is performing okay or whatever it is, but you at least you're in control. If you're sitting there with a high street, you may have a hundred different owners um, with fifty shops on one side and fifty shops on the other, and the, and the and the high street is failing. Um, And then you're going to get three people in there that have actually got decent tenants and they're going to go, well, I'm all right, Jack. It's fine for me. And the the strongest voices will be those from who may be owning a shop where it it isn't working. So that's going to be a tricky one to, to resolve. But you have other... It's a question of dealing with those stakeholders and trying to sort of see a way through that. I think we have challenges in terms of planning in the country. I mean, planning... It's all about, we've spoken a lot today about saying, well, of course, the future of retailing and it's all sort of in decline and everything else like that. Well, that's all fine, but what else are you going to do with it? Um, and you have to have a system that enables the ability to, to change direction. I said that earlier on in terms of when um, you, know, you make a decision and then a bit later on you suddenly think, guess what, That might not be the, that might not apply today. We, uh, you know, will deal with all stakeholders here, and, 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 and a key, again, is communication. It's just trying to drive that progress. Um, I think it will happen. Will it happen quickly? No, I think it will evolve. And I think it will evolve um, over a period of years, and things will change while that's happening as well. But I do think... One of my key bugbears, which is again another expression, most things I say I can't credit myself with because I'm not that clever. But the, the danger in the UK is 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 not of it becoming overdeveloped, the danger in the UK is it being under demolished.
0: So that actually is really a, a great segue because you know, really of course it's always important that I ask everybody that comes on the show. Um, what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day? Because that's what people really want to know because investment is all about the belief that there's somebody out there that does know the answer to that question. Um, now, you actually touched upon quite a few of the things that you know I think are in the mix. Um, and so the question I kind of wanted to ask was a little bit more focused, which was in terms of the the under-demolished as opposed to under-developed, um, is it possible that actually there's some now finally some environmental drivers that might benefit some of these spaces in terms of you know we're looking at reuse we're looking at even things like length of journeys and transportation we're looking at how do we maximize what as you say city centers that are potentially already there I mean who knows we might get to the point where electric vehicles will deliver milk to our doors in recyclable containers. Uh, what a what a you had it here first, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, so you know, is it actually sometimes that, as you say, that the zeitgeist maybe is aligning for more local economies like high streets to actually benefit from some of the changes?
1: Certainly, what we're seeing here um, is in a lot of towns the the sort of the small business type of operator in smaller retail units and by that I'm saying sort of rents up to sort of like 20,000 a year or something like that 15, 20 grand a year those units let up really quickly and I think a lot of that generally speaking is, is, is caused by two things is one is there will always be someone that wants to run a business and there will always be someone that thinks that okay I can sell this from a shop this is a um, I think the drive, a lot of these things you're seeing, sort of like local produce, that that's now sort of the, that's or local suppliers, and I think there's a there's 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 a, there's a potential for some good growth in that because I think it's something that people sort of are beginning to understand that, that they make themselves feel good if they are going to support their local economy mm. and they are not
0: doing Low the carbon footprint, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's the carbon footprint. But I think that sort of ESG style with local and carbon footprint is now something that is really becoming more and more... Po- I think that's got a long way to go as well. I think that will become ever uh, more important to, to retailing these days.
0: So to wrap up... Um if uh, you could give one message to the uh, to the eager beavers who are listening to this podcast. What still can, listening. To still, 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 still <laughs> listening. Still listening. You're still okay. out there. So, so um, anyway, thank you, Mother, for exactly, staying on the line. Absolutely. Um, how can Capri and AM, or what can Capri and AM help the man on the commercial real estate street with? Why should I, what should I be in touch with you about?
1: Why should you be in touch with us? A great question, easy to answer. It is because we will always listen to the client, understand what it is that he needs to achieve, and work with him to deliver that. And that isn't necessarily the same thing for everyone. Everyone has different outlooks, different business goals, Um, but what we do here and what I'm really proud of the way we do here is we will adapt and we will understand and we will listen and then we'll go away and deliver it.
0: Mic drop. Can't top that. So thank you once again for listening and looking forward to welcoming you again on the next episode and of course if you've got any questions, comments please drop them in the comments bar below and I'll make sure that Alistair gets back to you in due course, by snail mail, which is his preferred form of communication.
1: Thank you so much, David, for asking me to chat with you this afternoon. It's been it a, it's
0: has been a pleasure. A pleasure. <laughs>